Welcome to the Branding with Video podcast, your one-stop shop to take your brand to the next level. If you're ready to learn the best tips and tricks in the industry to dominate your brand and become legendary, you've come to the right place. So strap in, listen up, and let's do this. Welcome to the Branding with Video podcast, where we help you to leverage YouTube to build your business, position yourself as the expert in your field, and to get paid doing what you love. Whether you want to listen to experts who have built successful businesses and scaled them with social media, or it's solo shows where I just drop as much value as I possibly can. If you want to use YouTube to grow your video podcast and stand out in your industry, this is the podcast for you. But so. I want to I want to add this one thing, Zach. You're probably just exploring right now. Just keep exploring. Try lots of things. Fail a lot, and learn about who you want to show up as in terms of your voice, your tone, the subject matter and start to work on that. Now, all that goes out the window if you create a piece of content and it goes viral and brings you a couple thousand followers based on that one piece of content. Then I would say, wait, all bets are off. All right. Welcome, everybody, to another We Are Video Makers live show. Today we have Chris Doe, who is one of my mentors, one of the people who's impacted me the most in my career. So appreciate you coming on, Chris. Um, wanna, I want to give an intro. I, I don't want to do the, the standard like I could mention your Emmy award-winning designer, CEO, you know, blind, you started the future, all that good stuff. But what I wanted to share was how you've impacted me. Um, you know, when I joined the future, it's actually almost been exactly a year ago um, today. Uh, I, I, if if you haven't heard of the program, you need to, we'll talk about that. But it, I didn't quite know where I wanted to go. I didn't know quite what I wanted to do. And we are video makers actually started three months into me joining the future pro group. And so you've taken me from, you know, lost and not knowing what I was doing to having a very, I mean, hopefully it'll be a successful career, but I've, I've made so many connections and had so much more success than I ever have in my life. And I just wanted to thank you. And so Christo is mentor, someone that's changed my life more than anyone else. And, uh, thanks for, thanks for being here on the show tonight. Thank you so much, Zach. And thanks for saying that it means the world to me that, uh, you're having this experience and it's the intention of why we created the group. And I'm just, I'm excited for you. I'm excited where you go. I appreciate that. And uh, your group is amazing. We're going we're gonna to talk about that. But the reason for our call tonight is you've hit between, and I actually put this preemptively, but you've had, you have 2 million subscribers between the future as well as your individual or your, your personal YouTube account, which is incredibly impressive, especially for, you know, I mean, if you look at the things that you've done, a business owner, designer, all these other things, I don't know that you ever expected to be at 2 million on YouTube um, or, you know, and you have a large audience all over the place. So um, I want to learn from you tonight, and I know our audience does as well. Um, so let's, I want to dig in, start at 30,000 feet of like why we should post content and then really get into um, some of your strategy that I feel like you haven't shared before because I, I am in the pro group, so I know kind of what you shared. So let's, I wanted to start with, um, you know, why, you know, most of my audience, either they're business owners, they're coaches, consultants, things like that. So they, they know they feel like they should post content. <sighs> But my question is, why should should they actually be posting content instead of focusing on maybe building their business the traditional way, I guess? Like, is, is posting content really that important? Well, here's the thing. I'm not alone by saying this. I believe Gary Vaynerchuk is very prominently, uh, has said this in many different ways, um, that we're all media companies. And I, I like to add, we just don't know it yet. So when social media platforms started to pop up and become intrinsically woven into our lives and uh, a part of how we communicate, how we relate to each other, how we stay in touch. We have to understand that the game has changed and it's evolved from advertising, which is paying for people to pay attention to more organic earned media. And we, we it's, it changes our consumption. It changes how we follow and interact with brands that we care about. So not that long ago, uh, a few channels controlled the majority of the attention that we would give them, uh, mostly the big three networks. And through amount of advertising, paying for it, they can get a message out there into the universe and kind of control the dialogue because the opportunities for you and I to tell each other our own lived experiences with a brand and a product or service was was very limited. It was finite. Like the the ability to spread and share a message across platforms, what we take for granted today wasn't available and so then social platforms emerged and then all of a sudden the power shifted away from companies to individuals to customers so in many ways we control the brand we own the brand because if nike coca-cola ford start doing things that are incongruent with the message they put out there we own the our the mind share of like how we feel about it and if enough of us agree that they're they're actually not standing for quality 
um, that they've cut corners so they no longer represent the values in which we bought into, we also then determine collectively we no longer want to to patron uh, to be a patron of those companies. And so we get on social media, we tell each other, there's tons of social proof. And so this is really why it's important for every brand, whether you're a solo operator, a solo entrepreneur, or you you run a multi-billion dollar multinational corporation, to understand the game, the conversation is happening online on social platforms. YouTube is one of them. I happen to have a very um, soft spot in my heart for YouTube because it's really how I got into social media, but there's other platforms, obviously. And so we have to start looking at our customers as intelligent people who can have conversations with other intelligent customers. And rather than trying to have a monologue, we should try to have a dialogue with them. So we create content, we invite them to engage with us, and we allow them to shape and and co-create with us. And I think that's probably why most people, if they haven't already done so, stepped step into into social media, into content marketing. Uh, this is how the game is played in 2022. I like that. I like that a lot. I think that there's a lot there, and I think I listened to your um, podcast episode yesterday with Daniel Priestley, which was mm-hmm. amazing. Um, absolutely love that, and read the book, The Key Person of Influence, and I think I'm coming from, I think you and I come from kind of two separate ways where you've built very successful business, and you're now scaling with social media, and I like grew up wanting to be on YouTube and now I'm trying to determine like, okay, so do I offer services? Do I not? Like, how do I do this? But I think at the center of this is you need to use social media to share a message and become a key person of influence, whatever it is that you're trying to do. And, um, I loved, I also have your, your book here because I read some of it, but, um, one of the things that I loved in here that you said was that, um, you know, one of the best ways to learn is to teach. And there's a whole page on here. I was going to read something, but I think, Becoming that key person infants, becoming an expert requires you to create content and requires you to teach at scale. Um, so I like that a lot. So I guess I had a couple of other questions, but I really yeah. want to dig into how you know, your strategy, you know, in, you know, if we are trying to build a business, be a key person of influence, or just really build an audience, what would your content strategy be if you were starting in 2022 and maybe you have a small audience, you know, five, 10,000, but really you're, you're just at the beginning. What, what would you do now? That's maybe different than what you did then. Okay. I want to say a couple other things since you, you mentioned a couple of things. Uh, people have a hard time with the word influencer because the association is with, I, I think young, attractive people doing really silly things on the web growing influence and commanding a large portion of attention and a disproportionate amount of money. Then maybe Kylie Jenner might come come to mind that she's been able to launch a billion dollar company uh, based on her attractiveness, her association with other pop culture people and tangentially related to semi-famous people. And I think that's what happens, right? So the media gets a hold of a term influencer, social media influencer, and it doesn't exactly send the signal out to the rest of us saying this is a person of of, of character, of experience, of, of value. Um, but let's just take it back. Let's take it back 30, 40 years. What is an old school influencer? And we have a different feeling about these types of people. You might think someone who's done public speaking, someone who's been on TV or on radio, uh, but probably the, the best version of this I can think of right now is an author. An author writes a book with the intention of having lots of people read their thoughts in, in order to spread the message. And the better job you did at creating a book that people wanted to read, that they actually read, the greater influence you would have. And I don't think we look at writers and authors as, as pariahs on society. But for some reason, as we kind of use technology to amplify voices, we then mislabel, I think, what an influencer is and what contribution they might have towards the greater whole. So let's reframe that. Let's just think about who are influential in your life. You might start with your parents. You might start with a mom or dad or a teacher from from school, high school, from college, and they influence your thinking. They shape your opinions. They help you form ideas, and they create a lot of value for you. So you are influential to me. So if we continue to have this negative state where we think about influencers as being uh, a it's just people living fake lives uh, looking good for the camera but not of much substance then of course we're not going to participate in this game so once we do that 
now we can get started. We can start to do the good work, and it's essential. And you'll see that uh, it, it is often described as the attention economy, and that attention is worth a lot. You used to pay for it. You used to pay for it in radio, newspaper, TV, Super Bowl ads. You paid a lot for it. You didn't question it then. And so, again, it's just calling to question our bias, our preconceived ideas. And there's a lot now that we can do. So let's just first say, in order to be a key person of influence, an influencer, an influential person, a person of authority, a thought leader, you have to have some substance. And the substance can come from many different places. It can come from a career in teaching, in academia. Don't discount people who know how to teach but don't have experience. It can also come from people who have never gone to school in any real way, who have lived the life of experience, doing mentorship, trying. They're, they're just taking their shot of the game and winning, and some hybrid version of those two work for me. So it has to be built on a foundation of knowledge. So many young people look at influencers and, and authors and thought leaders and think, well, I can behave like them, and surely you can, but what you can't do is you can't replace their knowledge and their experience. And those are things we all need to work on. So I'm not one here to champion people who don't have the experience yet, who don't know what they're doing, who haven't studied it enough to then go out and amplify that. And that's another reason why I think a lot of people on YouTube have a give, create a bad rap because they don't know what they're doing. They, they want to be famous to be famous, not because they have some something of substance to share with people. So if I were starting out again, what would my content strategy be if I'm hovering around 10,000 followers or subscribers? Is that what you're asking, Zach? Yeah. I mean, essentially, if you're, you're starting over in 2022. Like um, brand new starting over from zero? I think... Let's say you've let's say five thousand. I want to assume okay. that you've you've put in enough time to create good content that you know decent content. You can create decent content. Yeah. So it's not practice content. It's what do we need to do once we've gotten past the kind of the beginning stage ish. Yeah. And what is my motivation for for being on YouTube? What is my goal? You know, I think that that was actually something else I I wanted to ask. I I, pre I prepped like twenty questions. Yeah. I, because I thought we had more time and just because I kept going through things. Oh, I, I want to ask him this one, this and this. Um, for those of you watching, go watch Chris's Ikigai. That was actually the first video I saw and that's what led me through joining um, the Future Pro Group was finding your purpose, finding what you want to do. And I think for purpose of this question, you either want to, you want to build a business of some sort to offer some sort of services. Like it's I don't know. I, I okay. feel like my personal question is a little different, but for sake of this, for my audience, you, you want to make this a full-time living and you, you like making content. Okay. Is that enough context? I think so. Let me answer this in two different ways. If you have a service-based business, maybe you're a, a logo designer, a web developer, maybe you make marketing videos, something like that, you, you need to do some form of content marketing so that people who are looking for you can actually find you. And you want to make content to build your authority and your expertise. We, we say that those who are able to articulate their ideas, either in writing, blog form, long form in a book, or on a video, they start to establish credibility and they start to earn trust. On that episode, Daniel Priestley talked about the 7-11 rule, where it takes about seven hours of close interaction with someone for you to get to know them, to trust them. That's where trust begins. And it takes 11 points of interaction for someone to buy something from you. And so if we could, we could sit down and talk to every single prospect, every single potential customer, but we would have no time left to eat, um, to sleep, and do anything else. So we have to be able to do that some form of scale. And that's what a book is. The, uh, the author works on something for three, six, nine, twelve 12 months, finishes it, and then is able to then replicate that one-on-one -on -one experience across time and space. So if they're an author of a best-selling book, 100,000 copies, they have the potential of having scaled themselves 100,000 times. And I don't know about you, Zach, when I was a kid and I was in trouble and I needed to be two places at once, my, my greatest wish was I wish I could replicate myself. I wish one version of me can go play video games, the other person can study for the exam. Unfortunately for me, the one who played video games won, so I didn't prepare for the exam. But that's the neat thing about being able to articulate your ideas and to be able to express it and and push it across multiple platforms for people to then consume it. So that starts to count towards that seven hours, and that's at least one point of interaction, if not more. I'm going to also imagine that, Zach, when you watch one of our videos, it wasn't one video and you're in the pro group. 
you wanted to dig deeper. You might have watched one uh, another video, and then eventually you're like, hey, there's a group and there's programs. Maybe you look into it. You'll check it out. So you're going through that 7-11 rule. So if you're in the service space, you're going to make videos, and you're going to try to teach people about what it is that you have an expertise in. Uh, number one mistake people do is they don't actually teach. They just promote. And that's one surefire way of not getting anyone to pay attention. We have built in a, uh, we have a built-in reaction or aversion to anything that remotely smells or sounds like advertising. This is really critical. So if you are in it and you really want service work, the best way you can do that is to actually give your ideas, give your thinking away for free because this is how people will start to recognize you. And so if you are going to uh, be known for, say, building websites, you're going to show people here are the seven stages of how you launch and build a successful website that gets you high conversions. Say that's your specialty. Like I get high, I create high conversion, converting sites for my clients in the uh, esports industry. And so you want to feature brands that are in the esports space. You, you might want to do breakdowns and talk about different brands that are doing really well and some missed opportunities. You, you, you're going to just keep talking about the same thing over and over again by focusing on one topic. And eventually you get known and people are like, wow, when I think of high converting websites in the esports space, I think of, I think of Zach. And then people reach out. They're going to go down the rabbit hole. They're going to go to your website. They're going to see a landing page. They might sign up for an, like a self-study auditing uh, quiz or something like that. They might sign up to do an initial call with you. And, and that's pretty typical about how you might want to build this. There's another side to this equation, though, that if you want to be able to make a living doing what you love, you don't always have to make content to promote another service. Because those are two misaligned things. I have to make content so that I can sell this thing and earn money. The other side to this is if you become such a good content creator, you can actually make a living just being a content creator so there's no services to sell in the traditional definition. So when your channel gets so well-known as the person who teaches people how to build high-converting e-com sites, well, there are platforms. There's affiliate marketers who might want to give you a piece of the action because you command so much attention. Brands might want to get involved with you and do brand-sponsored content where you can make 10, 20, 50, $100,000 for doing brand-sponsored content. And you can also then sell your own products. Um, you can sell things like a book, a template, a preset or something like that. And you can build an ecosystem of products built around your personality and the things that you, you are known for. There's a lot there. And you've, and I had this question down like at the end of the call, but I want to jump here now because we talked on a call where, uh, you know, Daniel Priestley did talk about building out an ecosystem of products. And I feel like I, I had a real wrestle with this on the call that we were on because for me, when I was first starting, it's like, okay, I'm going to build, you know, a small, some sort of small offer, whether it's a mini course. And actually that's what I chose as a mini course. And then you kind of go up the ladder and you sell more things. Um, and on the other side, you have people like Alex Ramosi where it's like, I'm just going to give away everything, even the stuff he works really, really hard on and focus on like bringing in just the larger investment clients because he wants to, I mean, that that's what really makes him the money. So as, and I think, I think we're going to have to go a little more selfish here and ask from my perspective, because I want to be a content creator. I would prefer not to offer client services. I keep having clients approach me like, we love your stuff. We love like all this. Can we hire you? In fact, I, right now I'm essentially a chief social media officer for a marketing agency, 100 person marketing agency, which is fun. It's stressful. It's a little overwhelming sometimes, but I, I really want to be a content creator. So as a content creator, if I, that's what I want to do, do I sell low ticket offers? like, you know, $97 course and then move up this ladder and maybe give away one course and give away as much information as I can? Or do I really just give as much as I possibly can away and have some sort of big thing that I focus on? And that's where I make my money. Yeah. Well, if you want to be a full-time content creator, the first thing that you would do is just try to build the muscle memory and the and, and, and a formula for how you want to create content that consistently attracts an audience. And so I don't, I wouldn't encourage you at 5,000 followers, the number that you were giving me, like if I were in a position, I don't think I'm, I'm going to be ready to be a full-time content creator. I, I, I will burn all of my resources and my savings in, while pursuing mm -hmm. that. So I think what you yeah. can do is you can, you can ramp up to something w with the, the intention that that's going to be your main thing. 
So right now you do service work and then you do content creation and every free moment that you have energy for, you should put time and effort into making more content. And then eventually you'll, you'll wind up on a formula that works for you and your audience and your community. And then you'll be able to consistently produce hits relative to the size of your audience. And you, you just grow and grow and grow. And that's the point. And at some point you're going to cross maybe 100,000 subs. It could be 200,000. I don't know what the magic number is. But at that point, you're going to start to attract the attention of sponsors. I, I want you to begin with the traditional model of being a content creator, not a person who has to yet sell more products, right? And so mm-hmm. sponsors are going to probably give you anywhere between 20 to 50% of an affiliate deal, depending on how niche you are and how big and engaged your audience and community is. And you can do that. You can turn on AdSense. And if you speak about ways to make money, especially around finance, your your um, what they pay you per thousand views is much higher. Ours is like $24. Some people have $32. And that's pretty fantastic. So for every thousand views that you have on average, they're, they're going to pay you $32. And at first it doesn't sound like much, but it can actually add up to be quite a bit. And with YouTube specifically, with a subscriber count of, say, probably a million and a half last year, I, I think what we did was we, we got paid about $360,000 from YouTube. And so awesome. if you think about it, because this is passive income and you can make this while making whatever it is that you want, that's clean profit because you get to make what you want, which is awesome. That's your art form. And you get this thing where you don't actually have to sell any ads. You don't have to fulfill anything. You don't have to read any scripts for anybody. You just get to make more content. So if you combine affiliate marketing with Google AdSense because you're doing really well in your channel, I think you could make a decent living. And for a lot of people, even $200,000 is more money than they can spend. Yeah, that's awesome. I like that. And I think that's that like brings the pure, like being a content creator in there. And I do, I do want to address courses though. Where do you feel like those fit? Because some, from mo- my viewpoint on content creation, I like working with thought leaders, somebody that has an expert, someone that can share a skill or teach something. I, entertainment side of things I don't get as much. So if I have a skill that I can teach you, do I do I sell courses or do I just continue to give it all away until I really am at an authority level where I, I kind of like flip a switch? I, I do these services until I can flip that switch. Yeah. It, it's up to each person because there's a lot of different ways to get here and there's no one way that's going to work for everybody. I was talking to Brendan Kane who wrote the book 1 million subscribers or 1 million followers in 30 days. If you look at his content on Instagram, you'll see that he often analyzes viral videos and he talks about them. And so I asked him what his business model is on on a podcast we recorded yesterday. He says, well, I'm an analyst researcher and I provide insights to people who want to make their content go viral. And so people pay into a group that he then posts a video week breaking down what he sees are trends that are happening right now and how you could benefit from knowing these things. So he's not providing a service. There's no course here. He's just sharing the same kinds of things that helped him to grow to a million followers on Instagram and on Facebook within a paid wall kind of paid community. And he has a business doing this. And so if you like making content and you like the whole craft of making content, if you did some research and you were able to share those insights and businesses want to learn from you, then they're going to give you money just to just look at that stuff that you already are doing so a lot of different ways to get there of course you can sell courses you can sell templates and presets uh peter mckinnon sells his color presets in in lightroom and apparently he makes a lot of money doing that that's really cool um and if you want to make a physical product it sure makes it easier for uh, people who want to support you to do so while getting something in return oh i like that i think that i think that answers answers my question for the most part. I need to do a little more digging on it, but I think it's, yeah. you're right. There's no, there's no one way to get there. Yeah. And I think it's, I think too, myself included, too many people don't have the experience to say, Hey, like I actually have enough. I have become enough of an expert in my thing to actually provide the value to do this as a full-time living. Um, so I, I need to think on that a little bit. Um, but another question that I have, so um, you, you are a master storyteller from every piece of content I've watched. <laughs> you are one of the best storytellers I know. And I've been really digging into 
a lot of experts on YouTube that help, you know, thought leaders or experts really grow. And one thing I'm noticing is that, and I do this in my content is I, I just teach the information too much and I'll, I don't put it into a, a story arc. I don't tell stories enough. And so as a master storyteller, my question to you is in, in your content, how often should we be weaving these principles into our own personal story as we share our content? Mm. Um, so before I made YouTube videos, I taught in a traditional brick and mortar school and I don't know what inspired me to do this, but one day I came in and I asked people, I'm going to tell you a story and then tell me what parts you learned from the most. And in doing so, they kind of revealed to me that they're one predominantly one type of learner over another. So some people can learn things by reading the title of a book and reading high level headlines and summary ideas. And that's one type of a learner. The other type of learner is one who, through story form, pull meaning from the story. And that's how I think most people learn. When your parents um, were raising you as a little kid, they might have told you fables um, about the boy who cried wolf uh, and to, to reveal to you lessons of life. And they've been, been transferred from one generation to next since like Aesop's time, right? So... People learn through story. The third way that I see that people learn is they learn through experience. They're kinesthetic learners. They need to get their hands on stuff. They got to try stuff out because they can't understand the high level stuff. They don't believe it. The story is kind of murky for them. And until they do it, they're going to know that it either works or doesn't. These are the type of kids who you say, don't touch the hot iron. They're like, whatever. Okay, don't touch the hot iron. They learn that way. And so we find that, especially around creatives, I... I'm a mostly logical fact-based person. So I taught high level concepts like you should do this. You shouldn't do that. And I was wondering like why my students weren't getting it. So I took a poll and of three types of high level learners, story-based learners and kinesthetic learners, which one do you think came up as the number one type of students at an art school? Probably story. (laughs) That'd be a good guess because that's how we're hardwired. Yeah, but the answer was kinesthetic, oh, and at first okay. it surprised me. But then I thought about it for half a second. It's like, of course, how do you teach design? How do you teach painting? Well, you put students in front of a model and you say draw, and in your drawing, the kinesthetic act of learning, the teacher would walk by and say, okay, here's what you're not seeing. So it's I do, you do, and there's a lot of you doing. So demo, mm-hmm. very little lecture, demo, you do, demo, you do. And almost all the assignments are critique based. So that means you got to go away and do a lot of work. You're going to come back and we're going to give you feedback on your work. And that's how they learn. So here I am thinking I'm the world's greatest teacher, realizing I'm teaching this kind of way when they're this kind of person, total mismatch and misalignment. So it's something that you want to think about as how you can tell stories, how you teach to address all three. So you could say something like this. Uh, in this video, I'm going to tell you about the five things that I wish I never done while starting my business, right? Now they're like, okay, there's five things. I can look out for that. And then you can say, so when I was starting my business, I always believed X. Have you ever been in that kind of position? And let me tell you the extent of which I believe that. And you tell a story. And so now you're hitting a couple of different parts there, right? And then you would come back and say, okay, so let me just quickly summarize the things we just talked about today. The five things are A, B, C, D, and E. All right? Now we're missing the kinesthetic part because they're only watching. They're passively consuming the content. You might then give them a prompt to try something. You might say, okay, um, download this worksheet, try this out at home, and let me know what your thoughts are and post your results online and tag me. So you've completed that whole arc. High level, you're talking, you're teaching through story, and then you give them something to do. So depending on which guy thing that you saw, you saw other people do it with me, and you, saw, you also had the opportunity to do it by yourself. And that's when you realize, oh, this person has taught before they know how to teach because I'm getting all of it together and it's a really nice way to teach so think about that Hey, I hope you're enjoying the episode so far, but I wanted to interrupt to give you a gift. If time is one of the biggest obstacles that you have in creating more content, created a mini course to show you how to create 10 videos from 60 to 90 minutes of total effort during the week. The knowledge I share in this course is very valuable, but this one is on me. I want to help you to create more content and to make a bigger impact. If you go to gift.wearevideomakers.com, you can download your free gift. Now back to the show. I like that. That's 
that requ- I mean, the, I like this because creating better content requires a lot more effort. And I feel like for me, what more effort has equated to is buying a new camera, which I just did, or spending 25 hours editing a video. And it's, I'm, I'm working harder, but my content is looking better and sounding better. It's not necessarily actually getting better. And what you've right. just described really allows you to create content that any audience, as long as whatever it is you're teaching actually is going to help them, can resonate with. So yeah. I like that a lot. So there's, um, there's a couple other tips I want to give you if you're trying to be a better teacher communicator in yeah. video format. Start at the end. Start at the end. Ask yourself what's the one or th- two or three things you want someone to know and to be able to do by the end of the video. And that'll make you select the best uh, opportunities to learn those lessons and not allow you to go off on weird tangents. So you start at the end and it gives you a lot of comfort. Like when I know what my audience wants to be able to do at the end of a talk or a workshop, then everything becomes a lot easier. I make decisions quicker and I'm going to design exercises to feed that. The other thing that you're going to want to do as a teacher is you need to simplify and make personal complicated data. This is something that's very, very important. So I could read to you the dictionary definition of a concept. That doesn't mean you've learned it and that I'm a good teacher. But if I can explain to you in a way that you understand, I'm a much more effective teacher and the likelihood of you being able to do it afterwards is, is much, much higher, right? So this gets into like things about like modeling, like let me understand, I will do something and then hopefully you'll be able to do it. Uh, but also just like trying to, to test your different ideas through different frameworks or different, um, different models that you can design or just using a much simpler language so someone can understand. So to me, teaching is is like uh, what Tony Robbins calls building rapport. It's there's something that you know and something that you don't know, so I'm trying to connect those two things together. So you might know this, you might believe this, and did you realize how much this is like this? I'll give you an example. Um, I like to talk about fishing a lot because I like fishing. And fishing is a metaphor that could be used for many different things. So I'm, I'm writing this um, new sales playbook, and the, and the first rule of the playbook is do not sell. And you're like, how is it that you're writing a book on sales and that you're now going to tell me not to sell? Because selling isn't what we think it is. Selling is the result. It's not an action that we take. So a lot of people think selling is persuading and convincing and manipulating someone else and creating false urgency. That's not the case at all. What you want to do as a salesperson is to be curious, to ask questions, to provide your prospect clarity and to inspire them to take action, to make a decision today. Sometimes it's to hire you. Sometimes it's to hire someone else. So he said, I love fishing, but I've never caught a fish. Here's my analogy. I love fishing, but I've never caught a fish. Like, what? It doesn't mean I didn't go home with a fish. But no one goes fishing thinking that they can cast a line into the water and try to hook a fish out of the water. And that's what a lot of people think about fishing. I'm sorry, about sales. They think they can force an action to happen to create a compelling event, an inciting incident, and to create urgency where none exists. Now, sometimes you can pull that off, but it's not very likely. Just like you can accidentally hook a fish on the way up, but not likely. So your job in sales, like in fishing, is to meet the fish where they're at, to present something to them that they desire. For fish, it would be like a, uh, like a, a scrumptious, delicious meal. And you have to put it in front of them at the right place and at the right time. Otherwise, you have zero opportunities of catching that fish. So when we start to understand how to catch fish, we might also understand how to catch a client. Gotcha. I, I like that. I think it's, and it brings up another question that I've been thinking about quite a bit lately where I, in, in your example of fishing, you need to know what type of fish you're after. You need to know what type of bait to use. Like if you don't have the right, if you don't understand what kind of fish you're actually trying to catch, you might bring the wrong bait. And so for me, sometimes when I'm creating content, like I, I've gone through this and I, I coach clients to do this where you create an avatar where it's not just this range like you would in marketing it's the person has a name you can picture this person like an acquaintance how old they are where they live what they do but sometimes i feel like i'm just talking about things that i want to talk about that are maybe related and not actually picturing this person as much as i should so in creating content and you know to really serve a purpose do i need to know exactly who this person is and always create content around that or if i feel like there's another topic that sort of related that I'd like to talk about that I can also create content on that. Yeah, I think what you're referring to is oftentimes referred to as an avatar that mm-hmm. represents a large group of people that 
think and feel the same way and it's going to be a mix of psychographic psychographic data and, and demographic data but when it comes to you creating content on youtube you could do it that way you could think about the kinds of people that you want to attract to the channel and you could do content for them unfortunately if you do it this way you might wind up doing something that you don't really love you'll build an audience you build a coalition but it's like every day it feels like work to you i think if you're going to go out and make content content should serve you it should be a clear representation of your your opinions your values and your beliefs and then allow the audience to find you and because this has got to be something that you want to do for a long time that gets you up in the morning like i i like talking about design i like teaching people how to run their business and i like to argue uh, you know i've joked before that i'm a master debater i like to debate with people right and so mm-hmm. I want to create my channel and the content around these topics, not because it's it's what is popular in a demographic chart or is rising trend. I mean, I'm sure that would help me, but I would prefer just to teach and teach the things that I'm very passionate about. So if you're a brand, you provide a service, well, talk about those things. Talk about what, what stories are, are really interesting for you to highlight as a representation of the brand experience or teach people the thing that you do and how you do what you do. And the funny thing is every time I watch one of these videos where it's super complicated about how to do something, I don't go out there and think I'm never going to hire the person. Most of the time I'm thinking I just need to hire that person because they're so good at doing it. There's too many steps. I don't really, really want to do it. I admire them for their talent, their craft and their skill, but I by no means want to do what they're doing. I like that. That's, that is very reassuring for me because it is, I feel like it. You hear a lot of people. It's like the adage: if they you build it, they will come. Isn't true with content, but I feel like it also is. Like because I, I look at your channel and you, you do talk about design, you do talk about business, you talk and you talk about YouTube. Like you talk about all these things that relate to what you do and what you believe and what you know. And you've built a very, very successful social media presence as well as businesses. So I think that's something I need to emulate more and feel okay with. And. Mm-hmm. Stop listening to people saying I have to (laughs) have to create it just for one avatar. Everybody just needs to remember this, that what might work for me might not work for you. What hasn't worked for me might wind up being the perfect solution for you. So my only duty is to try to report to you the things that I've seen, the things that I've done, and then allow you to walk away and like, well, that, that works for me or it doesn't. And I'm not offended. So be it. And I, I think the best experts I've listened to have always said something to the effect of that, where it's like, I'm not going to tell you what you should do. I'm going to tell you what worked for me. So I love that. Um, you posted a, a short, I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before, but I, I, you, this concept has come up a couple of times in calls and in your videos, but I, I couldn't find a long video really detailing this, but the the content pyramid or the, um, oh, yeah. I think you also called it the trifecta, where it's the utility and trend and expertise mm-hmm. and how they work together to create amazing content. Can you explain that a little bit and how after you explained it, how you would use it as someone with a smaller audience to make content. Yeah, so the content pyramid is just me trying to understand the commonality between pieces of content that that work. There is the viral pyramid, which is a little bit different, but let's just talk about the content pyramid. Like to create something that feels substantive, that has an opportunity to attract a large, large audience, it should be built around three pillars. The first pillar is an expertise. Like you need to know something, have put in the necessary hours to learn that thing that you're super super passionate about. So if we have no expertise, it doesn't mean that you can't make content and the content won't take off. It just means you just have to work that much harder on the other two parts. The next part is uh, uh, utility. And utility is about the usefulness or the desirability that someone else has for your piece of content. So if you show me how to build a planter box, and I'm really interested in planter boxes, especially right now, I don't know why, then the utility to me would be very high, but to someone else, it would be very low. And so if you can score high on your expertise, I'm a master carpenter, I've built uh, 2000 planter boxes before, I've tried every material, I know what works and what doesn't, and today I'm gonna teach you in this video on how to build a planter box for $25 that you can finish in two hours. Either I'm into that or I'm not, and that's totally okay. And so then you go and do that. So if you have expertise and you provide a lot of utility to your audience, you will grow and you'll do just fine. The component that I often miss and and don't tap into as much, so this is one of those ones, do as I say, not as I do, is to tap into trends. Trends are basically patterns 
of consumption patterns in culture, uh, a certain pieces of music or an editorial style that for some reason a, 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 a portion of society has agreed that this is really cool and they like this a lot. And so if you can tap into a trend, you can surf on that and you can power your content exponentially. Let me give you an example. Um, Obi-Wan just wrapped up not too many weeks ago. And so there's a ton of Star Wars content that's out there right now. And if there were an important battle between Darth Vader and Obi-Wan Kenobi, and you were able to somehow draw a parallel to sales and how to deal with clients, and you taught um, actionable things that people can learn, then you're tapping into the trend, Star Wars, because that's what people are searching for, and your expertise is in sales, and the utility you give is something that would truly benefit the audience. You've then hit the content trifecta in terms of hitting all the notes. I like that. I need to, I need to do better about adding trend as well. Yeah, I'm terrible uh, at it. So with the content pyramid or, you know, trifecta, how, how much do you incorporate this into your planning? Is this just like a high level idea that you understand you want to make sure that these are there? Or do you actually, before you create content, make sure that you are using these as much as you possibly can? Ideally, you plan for it prior to recording because then you can shoot and you can edit, making sure that you have the shots that you need. So for example, if you knew that it was going to be about Spider-Man or something else, you might wear Spider-Man costume. You might uh, do something with webs or you might film the whole thing upside down as if you were on the ceiling talking to the audience. So there's lots of fun ways, but you need to plan for that before you do it. Otherwise, you're going to try and take a square and you're going to try and squeeze it into a, a circle. Gotcha. Okay. I like that. I I tend to like, I do a lot of product reviews or principles. So it's like, I'll start the video and I'll plan the hook. Then I'm just off the cuff. Cause I, this is what I think about all day, what I do all day, or I've used the product so much that I just go, but there's not that structure. There's no story arc. There's no like these elements that really keep people's attention. So I'm seeing why some of my content that I feel like should do better, maybe isn't doing as well as I think it should. So yeah. I appreciate that. If you can figure out a formula that works and replicate that formula, you'll grow your channel really fast. And it, you don't have to sit here and reinvent things. I forget that there's a couple of different people that I follow on TikTok because I'm studying how they make content. One guy, he's like lots of tattoos and he, he offers to give people a free haircut on the street. And so it's a little bit yeah. of an adventure each and every time because he has to approach a stranger and says, can I give you a haircut? And he's, I think his name is Vic Blends. I'm not sure. And and sometimes it's a kid. So he's like, let's make sure it's okay with your mom. And then the interesting thing isn't the haircut itself, but it's about how he interviews and talks to people sitting in the chair. If you think about it, the person you're giving a haircut to, depending on how much hair they have, you have their undivided attention for about 10 to 25 minutes, right? And so they're sitting there. If they're relaxed and they're talking to you, they're forgetting the fact that they're getting a haircut on the street. He films all this stuff and he has millions of followers. I think that's really cool. And you want to find your formula. There's another person who offers to take a photograph of people in the street. So he finds somebody interesting mm -hmm. yeah. and it's challenging for him sometimes because they, sometimes they just say no. And a lot of them do say yes. That's why he has content and he's able to share with his community. Look what I came up with. Isn't that cool? And, and you cut, you get to see like normal lighting and then you get to see the lighting and framing through his eyes. And it's very, very different. Yeah, I like that one. his his content specifically. I loved one of them that was he wanted to take pictures of Batman. Batman's like no, that. paid him two hundred dollars, and he gave him back because it was like it was so good. Like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I feel like we need everyone should feel that way after watching content. Um, would that be cool? That it would be. Yeah. I, I think so. My question here is we we've talked a lot about how to make your content better, and what I like to dig into is kind of you know structure and you know creating content that you, I don't know, appeals to the algorithm, maybe is the best way to say it. But if you're, you know, that 5,000 follower creator, how are you structuring your strategy around creating content in 2022, as far as long form content, shorts, podcasts, like what, what would you do personally to, to really grow? Okay. There's a couple different ways to do this. Um, if you are more prone to like writing and building really big things, I would start with recording long form content like this interview would be considered long form content and then having a team go back and cut and add b-roll and just pull out the best pieces the ones that are going to be like 
mind's blown emoji, right? You would do that and that would work really well. But a lot of us, that's really difficult to sit there and create a masterpiece of content, near quotes. How, how are you gonna be able to do that if you're still relatively new? It's gonna be very, so th here's, here's my advice to do that on how to do that. You wanna create in a way that's the least amount of friction for you so that you can create it at a high velocity. The way that you would do that is you would probably share different ideas, thoughts, memes, whatever it is that you're interested in on Twitter. And if it works and it, it, it pops off, take that same idea and through very rigid character and, uh, limitations, you can go and take that to LinkedIn or you can create an Instagram carousel out of it and stretch it out a little bit. So now from one piece of content, you have three pieces of content, a longer form blog post of the same idea or a carousel, which is a visual translation of the idea. And if the carousel does well and the LinkedIn thing does well, you might want to aggregate all the parts that you think are the most valuable to people. And then you use that to make a video. And in this way, then you've mitigated the risk of no one wanting to see it because these are things that start off strong as a tweet, as a LinkedIn post, and then as an Instagram carousel. So one of the videos that we made, uh, I think uh, pre-pandemic, was Matthew seeing a, a, a carousel that I had made. Ma Matthew is a former creative director of mine. He saw the, the carousel I made. He said, Chris, you should just do a whole whiteboard session based on this. I'm like, okay, I'll do it. And that one was about the difference between um, price, cost, and value. like that so you would so and this sounds i mean very similar to what i've heard alex Ramosi say is basically test first and then your good ideas based on data not based on what you think is good yep then create longer content so for you are you with youtube being kind of the center of what you want to build if it was how often I guess how many platforms are you posting on and how often are you creating, like are you creating a lot of shorts to test ideas or are you just mostly doing what you said with getting some of these longer videos cut and I guess, I don't know, where, where are you posting? How, how often are you posting? You, you explain some, but like, I want, I want like a number maybe. I okay. guess not everybody needs a number, but. Sure. Uh, there's two different strategies I'm doing simultaneously right now. I've recorded a lot of long form content, meaning an hour plus and there's so much of it that there's not really a need for me to make new content right now. And so my team will then go and take a long form piece of content and cut out as many shorts, which are under 60 seconds as possible. And they'll create a vertical video with subtitles built in so that I don't even have to deal with the captioning part. And then from that, I can post that short on two places. I can post it on, on, on YouTube, or I can post it as a reels on Instagram. And I forgot TikTok. I would post it on TikTok as well. So for okay. one piece of content, we have three that are, are, are that are identical to each other, but because of the way each platform is set up, some I can write a little bit more, some I can't write at all, or very little. And so the, the thing that changes is actually the caption I write for it. And uh, that so that's that's the one, one strategy right now, but I'm also producing probably, uh, let's see here, the numbers. Um, I think at one point we we're saying two shorts a day uh, so that's uh, 10 a week and then 40 a month. And we started to notice that me medium form and long form content was no longer being watched because we weren't making it. So we're constantly shifting that around. In terms of like carousels that I make, if you create a carousel for Instagram and you export it as a PDF, you can upload it as a document on LinkedIn. Same piece of content, probably different caption or maybe exactly the same. So there's a whole team that's helping me to make certain things. My main responsibility is to write and record the new content. So that takes me to the next part. I try to keep an ear on to the ground as, in terms of like where people's pain points and challenges are. And when I hear someone having a very strong negative emotion to something that I think I can solve, well, that usually is pretty good genesis for a new video concept. Okay. So it sounds like you, I mean, I, my next question was going to be, should we focus on quality of content or con like the, the quantity of content? It sounds like you found a way to really answer both in, you know, doing, you know, quality, high quality content yeah. in this long form and then getting the quantity by having it cut up and, and different things like that from, from your team. So yeah. if you're a 5,000, you know, 
sub count creator though you don't have a team so would you still focus on those long form and maybe try to cut some of the the shorter ones or would you spend some of that time creating the the shorter ones and and focus on quantity over the quality ideally if you can record a native purpose driven content i would choose that option every time meaning if you're on instagram you should just try to use their their program to create the content itself I think that's kind of important. So when you start repurposing too much, when you're not looking um, at the camera directly, or if it's said in a way that is hard to understand and the drawing's unclear, then you're going to want to redo that. So something I'm telling my team right now is if you come across an old video and you're trying to cut it up and it's just requiring too much time, energy, and creativity to produce, give me the transcript. I'll re-record it as a vertical video straight to camera you have to do very little editing. What you have to do then is just add in the subtitles to the graphics and it's going to be a better experience. I found that videos that I make specifically for a platform versus porting over content from something else generally performs uh, better than the ones that were not purpose made. Okay. And that was, that was part of my question was like the quality, I feel like, I feel like the quality focusing on the platform and really addressing people on the platform makes a lot of sense because you know, that <laughs> you're speaking to them on that platform, but it's really hard to do multiple TikToks in a week and multiple vertical videos and these big long form videos. So it sounds like, I don't know, as that creator, you, you just got to find a balance of what works. And I mean, that's essentially what you've been saying this whole time is, is figure out what works for you. Yeah. So. There is potentially a small um, content optimization trick. If you were to write seven chapters for a video for, for YouTube, each one you designed to, to take no longer than one minute each, and you sprinkle that throughout your, your videos on YouTube, no one will be the wiser, like, wow, this is cool, great content. And then if you take it out of that context and you use, use that to attract different kinds of people, like, for example, uh, you you take these um, short pieces of content that are strung together to make a long form video for YouTube, then pretty much you can extract that and just drop each one of those seven pieces onto TikTok and onto Instagram and to use for shorts. So a little pre planning will allow you to do that. That's awesome. That I, I like that tip a lot. I think that's again plan, planning your your content is a a theme I'm hearing that that I need to to really focus on. So. But I want to I want to add this one thing, Zach. That yeah, when you're at the five thousand mark, you're 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 probably just exploring right now. And I would say to everybody who's at that five thousand mark, just keep exploring, try lots of things, fail a lot, and learn about who you want to show up um, as in terms of your voice, your tone, the subject matter, and start to work on that. And, and don't get into any kind of automation content production pipeline where you're just banging out content way ahead of time. Like you shouldn't have like a three month content calendar because it means you're not really learning and adapting. You're just gonna go full force doing whatever it is that you wanna do. Most people when they create content want the content to be seen. That should be probably your general goal. I need people to see this. Ideas spread faster if they're spread through people, right? Who watch the content. And so yeah. experiment, try things out. And then I say when you reach 20,000 subs, start thinking about, okay, do I have a hypothesis right now? Is something working? Now, all that goes out the window if you create a piece of content and it goes viral and brings you a couple thousand followers based on that one piece of content. Then I would say, wait, all bets are off. I actually did mm -hmm. find something that worked really well. Can I replicate this? Can I do this again? And you just try to do it again. Okay. I like that. I think it's... And that's kind of how I feel right now. It's kind of this wandering, testing, doing a lot of things. And when you do find things that work really well, double down. And I feel like, sadly, and th this is the way I feel. I feel like YouTube is harder to break out on, but you've proven through your channel. I mean, it took a long time. Like, again, I'm going to link some videos of Chris, especially you're growing on uh, YouTube, but you made content for years before you really took off. But once you found out what really worked, you double and tripled and quadrupled down on it and were able to grow really, really quickly. So yeah. um, I love that. Is there, I, I did have a question came in from um, someone when I said I was gonna be interviewing you. They said, they, is there a topic that maybe you don't get to talk about on YouTube that you wish you could talk about more? Mm. 
it's not so much that I wish I I, I, I could talk about it more because there's really nothing stopping me from making any kind of content. But so I'll look at it like this: there are topics that I I'm not asked about often, but I feel equally passionate about. And and there's lots of things like uh, let's talk about Game of Thrones. Let's talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe as it relates to uh, the printed comics. Uh, let's talk about uh, licensing and topics I'm also interested in is is how to raise an entrepreneurial child. Um, t- let's talk about parenting skills and things I've learned, maybe things from therapy and how they translate or how to be yeah. a better coach or facilitator. I could do those kinds of things. So I generally go wherever our audience wants to go. Um, I'm not in the business of just making content specifically because it feels fun to make content when no one shows up. Uh, yeah. So the thing that I miss the most right now, Zach, is it's been a little over two years since I've been in the studio with a live audience with hungry minds that, that want to be fed. And I, I get the most enjoyment from doing that. And it also turns out that usually winds up as being our best content. Our two highest viewed videos have a live audience in session with me. The first one is a short about how to price a logo where there's a group of people who signed up for my money mindset course. It was not a course. It was a workshop. I did a three hour workshop, talked about stuff and the best of it came out through that and that video almost has 50 million views at this point I think the second highest viewed video is another short where I'm arguing with my friend Mo where he's playing the role of a really just jerk client who's super cheap and I was given the task of not saying goodbye to the client like I had to finish the negotiation and so it really tested me and that piece of content wound up doing really big numbers as well over 5 million views I think that's incredible. I love those videos as well. I feel like you're, you have a new level of energy when you have a live audience. Like yeah. you just come alive, which is amazing to see. So, yeah. um, I do want to respect your time. We're about three minutes before the end of the hour. So mm-hmm. I do want to ask you though, if, and I don't know how much content you've watched of mine or, you know, some smaller creators in your circle, maybe if think of any one of them, is there any piece of advice that you would give someone who is and just really trying to make this work and just kind of feels like they're treading water or spinning their wheels but they they know it's going to work it just it's getting a little frustrating yeah i think if you just walk in the door with your expertise it's not going to be enough so if you know a lot about video and and channel optimization and if you talk about that people are going to fall asleep so you have to compete against uh i i think it's mostly like calorie preservation which is what i'm told is when you're like deep in thought you're burning a lot of calories and so when you're sitting in a lecture hall and the, and the professor who you really want to learn from is citing fact after fact, you, what happens to you in a darkened, air-conditioned environment? You fall asleep. It's because I'm trying to pay attention. This is super important. And you're burning calories. And your brain says, we're not going to die, meaning there's no danger present. We're going to shut down the computer. And your brain will go to sleep. And the way that you combat that is you pull people into a story. You know, it's not often that you're at the theater and it's a good movie and there's a compelling plot line where tension is being created and you're like, I'm going to fall asleep now. No, because you put yourself in the film and that's what the power of stories does for people. When when you're able to tell a story, the person not just listens to you, but they're walking next to you, re-experiencing and reliving those moments with you. So whenever possible, tell stories and you might have to find some kind of gimmick. And I don't say gimmick in a bad way, a gimmick in that you know instead of just being straightforward like everybody else speaking to camera talking about tips and tricks on whatever it is that you're doing that you get some kind of visual aid and you're doing demonstration you're creating metaphors you're you're building models or something like that so that people can really understand and for us the breakthrough on on some of our live content is when i start drawing and having these whiteboard sessions and tearing sheets off and like okay this is what it is and i get to exercise a little bit more of some of my skill sets Whereas sitting here locked in front of a camera, you're getting my intellect, but you're not getting a lot of my personality, my body language, my mannerisms. And what I enjoy the most, me making fun of people who are in attendance. Gotcha. I like that. Thank you. I I feel like that's, I need to do that more. I'm going to be planning content a lot better and uh, trying to remember that the facts, facts aren't enough. So um, where you've got a lot going on, where can people find you on social pro group all that kind of stuff and, and connect with you you can find me on most social networks I, i'm pretty much everywhere and you can find me at the chris doe doe is spelled d-o and there are fake versions of me somewhere where they misspell this or they add a weird underscore please don't follow them 
Uh, I'm, I'm active on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, on YouTube. I'm, I read all the messages um, and sometimes I get backed up, but eventually I do make through my way through all the messages. And so when someone's responding, replying to you from my account, it's me. You would think there's a whole team behind it. There isn't. It's just me responding. And so I beg you, please keep your message short because I cannot read long messages because of the volume, right? And you, you're laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And you can find out more information about our products, courses, and our coaching community all at thefuture.com. And that's spelled F-U, like the, F-U-T-U-R. There's no E at the end of it. It's just the futur, if you will, dot com. Perfect. And I'm, I'm going to link all of this down in all the videos that we, we posted this. So thank you so much, Chris, for being so generous with your time, teaching us all these things, and then um, you know, making sure that we can, we can grow on YouTube in 2022. Thanks for impacting my life as well and, and changing everything for me. Thank you. As I said, Zach, I just can't wait to see where you go on this journey. I'm very excited for you. Appreciate that. All right, everyone. Have a good night, and we'll see you next time. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Chris. Make sure to tune back in on Monday where we brought Sev back to the show. He had a lot of questions about growing on YouTube, so I thought this would be a great opportunity for him to ask his questions and for you to learn along with him as well. So if you want to learn how to grow on YouTube this year, I'll see you on Monday. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you haven't already listened to some of the past episodes, I wanted to give you a couple of options. So here are a couple of guest episodes that you might like. On episode one, we learned how Sev grew to 1.1 million followers on TikTok. Episode three, how to make money streaming on Amazon Live. Episode five, we learned how Chris Doe grew to 2 million subscribers and what he would do if he were starting over in 2022. Episode seven is how an 18 year old built a five figure a month business on TikTok. And episode nine is how to grow and monetize your podcast. I hope one of those sounded interesting to you. If they did, I'll see you in the next episode. If not, make sure to go to the show notes and connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know who my next guest should be.